You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Well, good morning. I would like to start out 2020 this morning talking to you about 1805. Uh, Back in 1805, long, long time ago, 1804 actually, sorry, uh, Thomas Jefferson, who was the president at that time, he sent out an expedition to cross the continent to try and find an all-water route from the Atlantic to the Pacific to try and establish a trade route for our continent so that like this country could get ahead of other countries and and provide the, the growth of this country. And so he sent people through land that was unknown. They had no idea what was in the middle of this continent at that point. They thought maybe there could be woolly mammoth still running around. They thought there were like massive deserts with volcanoes and things like that. They just had no idea. And so Thomas Jefferson got together a couple of dudes. He got together a party uh, that they ended up naming the Corps of Discovery, right? Discovery this morning. The Corps of Discovery led by Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. And they had to cross three 1,700 miles back in the days before technology. There were no phones, no lights, no motor cars, as primitive as can be, like Robinson Crusoe, right? That, that's Gilligan's Island, but you get the idea, right? They had to cross on horseback. They had to use keelboats and these types of things to try and get across the United States in this way. It was a massive and dangerous undertaking. And so Lewis and Clark rounded up about 45 people in their party, and they set out. And for about a year and a half, maybe a little bit longer, they were crossing the United States and then trying to return on foot. And at one point as they're crossing, their horses, which are an important part of their expedition, right? That's what's carrying their gear, sometimes carrying them. Some of their horses got away from them. So they have these horses that get lost. So they send some of the men, part of the expedition, out to search after these horses. And one of them was named George Shannon. And so George Shannon and some other guys go out, they split. George Shannon starts looking for these horses. While George Shannon is looking for the horses, he actually loses his own horse, which is not great, right? Like, I don't know a ton about horses, but I know you got to keep those things on some kind of leash, right? Like, or they're going to get away from you. George Shannon loses his horse. And he ends up in the wilderness with no horse, still kind of like gets turned around. He's got some bullets and a gun, but he quickly uses up all his bullets to no avail, killing nothing that he can eat. And so he just starts wandering around in the wilderness, and he is lost for 16 days. He starts going up the river there, traveling, thinking that the Corps of Discovery had gotten ahead of him, when actually the Corps of Discovery was behind him. And so he just starts setting up, getting further and further, until finally the man is about to starve. He is hopeless. He is malnourished and he just sits down on the banks of the river just ready to die. And then up comes the river, Lewis and Clark, to rescue him, right? And and Clark wrote in his journal about this moment, he said, Thus a man had liked to starve to death in a land of plenty for want of bullets. So what he's saying here is the guy is basically in a cornucopia. He's in a buffet. There is plenty to eat on, but he didn't know how to get it because all he had was his gun and no bullets, And so he almost didn't survive for want of bullets. There's another person in the Corps of Discovery that was kind of an unofficial member of this party. It was a teenage mother named Sacagawea. You've probably heard her name or seen her in statues or on coins. She was a teenage girl and a Native American who was kidnapped from her tribe and then later traded to a French-Canadian fur trader. 
And then Lewis and Clark met up with this fur trader and kind of adopted him into the party to act as an interpreter. And Sacagawea came along having a baby right before they start out on this expedition. So every river that they crossed, every mountain that they climbed, this teenage girl did the same thing with a baby. And there was a a moment in the expedition where, again, they found themselves low on supplies. They found themselves in an area where there's not a lot of game to hunt and to be had and to eat. And they don't know what to do. And Sacagawea picks up a stick and she starts poking around in the earth. And she uncovers a store of wild artichokes that had been collected by a mouse and stored for the winter. Now, George Shannon had a gun in in the land of plenty and didn't know what to do. And he almost starved to death. Sacagawea had a stick, and she found sustenance. She knew the right tools to use in their environment. And this morning, as we're kind of moving into the new year, what I want to focus in on is the tools that we're taking into 2020 with us. What tools will you use in 2020? And the one I want to focus in on most is the tool of community. Because if we go back to this idea of the core of discovery, those people could not have made it across the United States alone. Other people had tried in smaller parties. They didn't make it. Many people died trying to do what the Lewis and Clark party did. But they were able to make it because they were able to rely on one another. Because they had people like Sacagawea who knew the right tools to get them where they needed to go and back. So my question for you as we begin the journey of 2020, which could be a hazardous journey we don't know yet which could be a huge undertaking. We don't know what it has in store for us. On this journey, what tools do you have? And the tool I'd encourage you to put in your tool belt is the tool of community, which is sort of like a popular buzzword, especially in churches today, of community. I almost try to like use another word for community, but it's the best word for this. But I want to be clear what I'm talking about this morning when I use that word of community, because here at Discovery, we often use it in a different sense. We often use it as being servants to our community, like what Matt talked about with Sent to Serve, how we serve our community. But what I'm talking about now is not so much that outward focus of community, but sort of the inward focus of the, the relationships, the fellowship we have with one another within the body of Christ. A definition of community, if you just look it up on Google, is a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common, or a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. That's the community we're talking about this morning. Relationships, friendships, family, community. And the Bible, if we look at it, From Old Testament to New, the Bible is filled with this theme of community. We tend to get caught up on the ones like love and forgiveness and all of these things being all over the Bible, but community is just as present. So this morning, if you're you're a note taker, this is your day, right? Like some of you like taking the notes, you got that new journal for 2020, this is your day because we're going to have a lot of that. We're going to go through a lot of stories in the Bible. We're not going to spend much time on any of them because I don't have a lot of time to to play with up here. And so you may just want to write some verses down and come back to them later. But we're going to be going through the whole Bible and highlighting this theme of community in it, which starts on page one of history. Not just page one of the Bible, page one of history. Genesis chapter two. God has created the Garden of Eden. He's created the world. He's put Adam in the Garden of Eden. He's brought all the animals to Adam. Adam's named the animals. But then God looks at Adam, and in Genesis 2.18, it says this. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Before sin entered the world, loneliness was already there. 
Adam's in a garden of perfection. Adam is with the presence of God, and yet something is still missing. And so God creates Eve. Right there at the beginning, this theme is established that it is not good for a person to be alone. And so God puts Adam in community. And of course, they're fruitful. That's one of God's commands them. They're fruitful. They multiply. And so the world expands. And then later on, we see this idea of community come up again. When we see two people in particular, there's several we could highlight, but two people I want to talk about that desperately need community. Here's what happens. If we look at Moses, you guys remember Moses, right? The guy that went and helped free Israel from the hands of slavery in Egypt, leads them out of, the, out of Egypt through the waters into the wilderness. Now they're going around the wilderness, and Moses has to lead a whole nation of people. He's got to figure out how to feed them. He's got to figure out where to take them. There's not like a clear path. That's Moses' job. If you've ever been in charge of like a business, a big one or a small one, where you've got people that rely on you for things like their insurance and their paycheck and your decisions determine how much they're working and how well they're doing, you know a little bit of what Moses might have been dealing with in leading a nation. If you've ever been a mom at a dinner table and your kids don't want to eat what you have provided for them, you have a little bit of an idea of what Moses was dealing with. Because all of Israel was like, manna is gross, we don't want to eat it. And Moses is just fed up. He gets to the point where he is at the end of his rope. The pressure is too great for him. And in Numbers chapter 11, we see him say this. He talks to God and he says, I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you'll treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. I don't know how else to put it other than that Moses appears to be suicidal at this point. I don't think it's hyperbole. I don't think he's just exaggerating. I think he's going to God and saying, if this is how it's going to be, I don't want to be a part of it. Kill me now. Moses is done. Then if we fast forward a little bit into 1 Kings, if we go to 1 Kings 19, we meet another guy, another leader, but in a different way. His name was Elijah. He was a prophet for God, so he spoke to the nation of Israel for God. And it was in a time when Israel had really evil kings and queens over them. There's a really bad king named Ahab and his wife named Jezebel. And God told Elijah to go and speak to them, to speak to the nation for God, which was a very unpopular thing for Elijah to have to do, to go and talk about God's destruction coming to their nation because of the disobedience of their leaders. And so Elijah took a stance, an unpopular stance, and he lost a lot of friends in the process and ended up being very isolated and ends up running for his life after he's acted against Jezebel. Now, you might identify a little bit with Elijah if you've ever made an unpopular stance, especially one that is related to your faith, a decision based on your faith, based on what you feel God is leading you to do. And that's cost you friends or family members because you made that decision. You might understand a little bit where Elijah is. And so Elijah is literally on the run for his life. And then it says that he goes in 1 Kings 19.4. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. I don't know what that looks like, but I don't think it has mops on it. That's, always, that's one of my favorite jokes, and it always gets about that reaction. Uh, he sits under the broom tree, and he asks that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Again, somebody who appears to be on the brink of suicide, Isol isolated very much so from everyone else, a lot like Moses under great pressure. And some of us here today can read those verses and find commonality with Elijah and Moses. 
And so here's what God does. Here's God's solution for both of them. If we go back to Numbers, here's what God says to Moses in Numbers 11, verse 16. Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them there stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Because it's not good for a person to be alone. And then Elijah, after he's in the desert, God tells him to move on. He gets up on top of this mountain. You probably remember the scene. The fire comes by, the whirlwind, the earthquake, but God's not in it. Instead, God speaks to Elijah in a still, small whisper. And here's what he says. He goes, anoint a new king. This is 1 Kings 19, 16. Anoint a new king and then go find Elijah and anoint him to be a prophet in your place. And if you read on further from that, we see this unique relationship between Elijah and Elisha, this partnership, this mentorship, this friendship between the two that really seems to do great ministry but also helps Elijah go further. In both instances that we see of these two men who are on the brink of ending it all, God's solution to them, God's tool to them is to find community. For Moses to find more like-minded people surrounding the same goal to help him bear the burden of what he's got to do. For Elijah to find somebody else with a common goal in mind that he can be a partner with, a friend with. And I don't want to look at this stuff and and talk about a, a topic like suicide or look at people that are there and just breeze past that because it's a very serious thing. And I know there could be people in our room this morning that are dealing with those thoughts. And so don't hear me. I am not saying that that all you need is friendship, that all you need is community. I'm not saying that you don't need a doctor, that you don't need medicine. What I am saying is whatever the solution to your problem is, I know community is going to be part of it. And I know that it needs to start with you talking to someone. And so if you found yourself isolated with those thoughts, that is encouragement. Number one is to find somebody to talk to and then get the help that you need. That's God's solution for Moses and Elijah in these dire moments is to find community. And there's a ton of other places we could look at where people are put into community. But there's a couple more I want to zoom in on where maybe the community is not what they should have sought after. That maybe the community they go for is not helpful to them. We've got, we've got Solomon, the king after David, David's son. Solomon, he's one of the wealthiest people on earth in his time. He's one of the wisest people the Bible tells us. And Solomon, as he's gathering all his status and wealth, it tells us in verse 11 of 1 Kings 1, or sorry, chapter 11, verse 4 of 1 Kings. It says, when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. Because Solomon had gone out in all of his riches and his wealth, and he had gotten 300 wives, or I'm sorry, 700 wives and 300 concubines. And I know that there's a joke there to be made of like, I've got one wife, I couldn't imagine. I'm not the guy that will make that joke because that's not how I feel, right? So I wouldn't be making that joke. But here's Solomon. He gets 700 wives and 300 concubines in his life, a 1,000 women to fill his temples with and his palace and all of that stuff. And most of these were from foreign nations that God had said, don't talk with these people, don't associate with them because they worship other gods that are evil and they might pull your heart from me which is exactly what happens for Solomon when he's old. His wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David, his father. Solomon got the wrong kind of community. And I think the reason is he had the wrong motivation. 
He wanted a community that would elevate his status, right? Everybody sees me with a thousand women. They're going to think that guy must have it going on, right? He probably was very motivated also by pleasure, just by desire. And so Solomon is searching out his community group based on status and pleasure. Those are not the right motivations to find a group of people to be in life with. But that's what happens to Solomon, and it pulls him away from where God wants him to be. And we can look at that and be like, yeah, but the Bible said he's the wisest dude. How could he make such a mistake? And I think the easy answer is just he should have known better, and he did know better. And yet this community pulled him away from God and ends up pulling the nation of Israel further from God. Then we've got a guy named Job in the Bible, which I hate to just breeze through the story of Job because it is a beautiful book of the Bible. But we've got Job who everything has been taken from him. He's lost his livelihood. He's lost his family. He is plagued by disease. And he's, he's at the end of it all. And he's got these friends that come and surround him. And it tells us in Job that, that his community, his friends, they come and they sit with him for a full week and don't even say anything which is probably what Job needed most, just somebody to be with him. And if that's where it had stopped, Job probably would have been way better off. But those friends decided to speak after that long week. And here's some of the great wisdom, the great advice that they give Job, who's plagued by disease, lost everything. Job 22:15, Eliphaz, which again, another great Bible name, if anybody's naming a boy, like we like John and Paul, but Eliphaz, Eliphaz says, Job twenty two fifteen, is not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities. What? And then Zophar, another great name, Job eleven six. know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Now, this is not just a little tip for you. If you have a friend that's in mourning, a friend that's sick, like, do not go up to the receiving line at the funeral and be like, you deserve worse. Right? That's not going to help them as they're mourning. It's because you're so evil that grandma died. Like, that's not what you tell somebody who's in that position. But this is what Job's friends tell him. Job was not in positive community. Job was surrounded by people with weird theology that were telling him the things he didn't need to hear, telling him things that were not going to push him closer to God, but were going to develop anger and animosity towards God within Job. So Solomon and Job both, I think, provide us examples of terrible community. And I think maybe we can really identify with that. And I'd like to throw up an example for us of what I think is terrible community today, but many of us are convinced is good community, and that's the community, air quotes, of social media, or the community we find in the digital world. There's a lot of ways you can connect with people, whether it's through a dating app or a social media platform or whatever it may be, but I don't think it's really good quality community. I know just for me, I've got like 900-some Facebook friends, but I really know like 30 of them, and they never post anything. And so then when I'm on Facebook, again, I talked about this last time before Christmas, I'm reading a bunch of stuff from people that I don't really know, and they're angry about something, or they're scared of something, and now I feel like I need to be angry or scared about something, and I feel like I've had some kind of connection or conversation, but there has been none. I've just read the thoughts that somebody screamed out into the void and felt like I had community. That's not positive community. That's not going to help me. It's not being united with somebody around a common goal. And it's not the goal of seeking Jesus in my life. It's not good community. Here's the illustration I came up to kind of talk about that. Any of you, show of hands, don't be shy. Any of you here ever been hungry? 
Okay, a few people. I thought it maybe be more. Uh, I don't know if this illustration will connect that much, but I don't know if you've ever gotten hungry. Me, I typically get hungry like late at night, which usually means I've stayed up past bedtime and now I'm ready for like second dinner or whatever it is. And so I'll find myself hungry. And in these moments, what I should do is just go to bed, right? But instead, what I do is I seek out my first crush, little Debbie. Anybody? Anybody? Little Debbie? Little, the oatmeal cream pies, right? The, the Nutty Buddy bars. Oh, the, the, the Star Crunchy. Anybody can testify this morning and amen for the Star Crunchy? A few of you. Or there might be some in our crowd who like to get even, even further down the hole and go the hostess route. And now we're in the world of Twinkies and ding-dongs, and ho-hos, and anything that can be found in a wrapper. And I'll get hungry like this, and I would just eat a whole box. And then I'm not hungry anymore, but I don't feel good. And so I just roll around. This, I think, whereas what I should have done is sought out something with nutrients, with vitamins. Maybe just grab a banana, dude. Like eat an apple or, or throw some peanuts down the hatch. Like do something like that where you'll get actual nutrients and fill the hunger that way with something that is good. I think that's a lot of what our digital life, of what social media is doing to us today. It's making us feel like our hunger has been quenched, but it's not quenching us with things that are healthy for us. And so we spend a lot of time in this world that then makes us feel like we've got friends, we've got a community outlet, but instead it's working against us in a negative way. Job, Solomon, we saw them seek out negative community and it didn't go well for them. But then if we get up to the New Testament, we get some great pictures of positive community. So we saw in Moses and Elijah, we have a need for community. We saw in Solomon and Job that there can be negative community. Let's look at some good community. In the book of Luke, chapter 5, I don't even have the verses on the screen because we don't have time to go there, but you can write it down, come back to it later. There's a couple of guys that have a buddy, and this guy can't walk. He's a paralytic. And they hear that Jesus is in town, and they've heard that Jesus can heal people like their friend. And so what they do is they load up their buddy on a mat. They start carrying him through town. We don't know how far to get to a house where they've heard Jesus is speaking. And when they get there, the place is packed out. Everybody wants to hear this man who claims to be the son of God. They can't get in the door. And so they start trying to figure out, like, what are we going to do? we got to get our friend to Jesus because Jesus can help him. And I love what they do. These are the kind of friends I want in my life. They come up with a unique, a creative, and a destructive solution. They climb up on the roof of this house, and they just start digging through the roof. And their plan is to lower this guy down through the roof. I would love to be with these friends later on as they're, like, reliving what had happened. And they're like, yeah, and Charlie's over there. Like, we know Charlie's weak. He about, like, drops him halfway. Like, dude almost fell on Jesus' head. Like, and so-and-so, like, he, he almost fell out of the hole in the roof. We had two people. Like, he's going to need healed, too. And they're just laughing about what they did with their friend. Also, they could get this one guy to Jesus. They lower him down right in front of Jesus. And not only does Jesus heal his ailment so that this guy can walk, he also forgives his sins. What a picture of community, of people united in a common goal, of finding and getting closer to Jesus. That's the kind of community I want in my life. People that will see when I have a need, they'll know when I am down, and they'll say, man, i got to get you to Jesus, and they'll help me do it. That's the kind of person I want to be for my friends, to see, man, you've got this going on in your life, and I know the solution. It's Jesus. Let me help you to get to them. That is positive community. We see Jesus seeking out community. He's the son of God. He could have done everything on earth he needed to alone, but instead he finds 12 disciples to do it with. 
And on the night before he is to be crucified, he's in a garden praying. And he asks his three closest friends, James and Peter and John, to go further with him. And he says, pray with me while I pray. Jesus' hardest hour, he seeks out the support of community. And as he gathers that night at the table at the Last Supper, John 17, this was Jesus' prayer for his disciples at that table, but also those that would follow him in the future, which is us. Here's how Jesus prayed for us in John 17, 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus' prayer before his death is that we would have community, that we would be one together with him and with God. And as we truck through the New Testament, we see in the book of Acts, which you guys are well familiar with, we just spent like a whole year going through Acts, we see the early church develop this unique community where they're all giving together, they're all putting their paychecks in one pot, and they're all united around the common goal of spreading the name and the story of Jesus out into their world. When we see Paul go off on his journeys as a missionary, never once do we see him go alone. He's always taken somebody like Silas or Barnabas or Luke with him the whole time. Paul is in community, united with people around the same goal of making Jesus known in their world. We need community. And so this morning, as we move towards a time of, of communion, I want to just ask that question, obviously. Do you have community in your life? Because it's not good for a person to be alone. If we hop back to the story of Meriwether Lewis and the Corps of Discovery, they make it, if you didn't know. They made it all the way across the United States. No water routes, big disappointment, but they made it and they come back. And when guys like Lewis and Clark returned, they were the celebrities of their day. Everyone knew the name of Meriwether Lewis. People were throwing big parties and balls in his honor. The dude had a multi-volume book deal about his adventures going on. And he had people subscribing to the book before he'd even written a line of it. It was like the first pre-order of a book before Amazon was even around. The guy had everything. He was appointed as governor of Louisiana. He was praised by the president. He had it all. But then we see Meriwether Lewis begins drinking heavily. After a year and a half with no access to alcohol, he goes at it hard. And then he starts using the drugs of the day, maybe to help with some of the ailments he'd picked up on the journey, but he starts getting heavy into opium and laudanum, and things just go downhill for him, and he collects a whole lot of debt and never writes the first chapter of this book that everybody wanted to read. And I was reading the story of this expedition. I was reading this big, thick book I'd started, and Christy and I were on vacation around in Nashville, and we went on the Natchez Trace, if you've ever been there. And I was kind of bummed, but it was also cool because the whole ending to this story got spoiled for me because on the Natchez Trace in Tennessee, not far from here, is the grave of Meriwether Lewis. And at the end of this guy's life, just a few years after he'd returned with the Corps of Discovery, he died on the Natchez Trace. And most historians agree that it was by suicide, that he took his own life. And we don't know all that was going on with Meriwether Lewis, the, the, the things that he was battling but here's what I do see, is that for a year and a half, he was with 50 other people, united around a common goal to get across the United States and back. But then when he came back, he moved into a big house by himself, and he had no community whatsoever, and his life took a downward spiral. I'm not saying that's the only factor for him. We don't know all the details, but 
I think it was probably a pretty big factor for this guy that he didn't have people with him united in a common goal. Now, we as the church, we should have people with us united in the common goal of knowing Jesus and making him known. So today, where in your life are you finding community? And as we move to communion, there's something else we got going on this morning. We've got these connect, or not connect cards, they're small group cards. They're on every other chair. And these are always available to you. We just don't always put it on the chairs for you. But a discovery, we, very much a part of our fabric is community. Not just our service to our community, but the community we develop with one another. That's why we come here every Sunday and we are together in this room. You could have looked up a podcast and heard a way better sermon than this one this morning, but you wouldn't have gotten to stretch your hand across the aisle to hold hands with somebody and pray with them. You could have turned on a praise song in the car, but you wouldn't have been able to hear the, hear the person next to you singing their praises to God, which some of you are like, that would have been better. You don't know who's sitting next to me. It's rough. We need community. So we provide it here every week, every Sunday. But then beyond that, we provide small groups where you can get with other people that might be in a similar phase of life with you or maybe they're further on in life and have more wisdom than you do or maybe someone at a different phase that you can help out. But we have small groups and we provide them for this purpose because it is not good for a person to be alone. And life for a Christian in 2019, 2020 is tough. And so we've got to be together, united in a common purpose. And so you'll find this card. There's your information that you can fill out on it and a couple other details, like what you might be looking for in a small group, what your age group is. And what you can do is just fill this out and then you can take it to the communion tables when we go for communion and just pop it in the basket there. And then later on, somebody will contact you about getting you plugged in with a small group. And what we found is we've got several going on, but some of them can only be as big as a living room. So some of them are filled up. Others have more room. What might end up happening is like you just need to start a small group yourself and begin leading that. And we will equip you to do that. We have training courses. We have right now media that you can do everything you need to to have a small group so you can be a part of community. So pop that in a basket at the communion tables or even more if you're really serious about it this morning. Turn it into the connection point table when you walk out these doors. And Heath Chanelli will be standing there. He's over small groups here at Discovery, and he can help you get plugged in really quickly to a small group. So then as we, we move to communion, I just want to end with one last verse, thinking about community, thinking about what Jesus did for us on the cross that now we participate in as we go to the communion table. Well, you'll find some bread, which represents Jesus' body broken for us on the cross. You'll find some juice which represents his blood for us poured out. And you'll take the bread, you'll dip it in the juice, and you'll eat that and do as Jesus says in remembrance of his sacrifice for us. We'll do that in a minute. I invite you, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, to do that with us. But I want to focus on one verse. We've gone through the whole Bible. We've got to get a verse out of Revelation from John, the disciple, who has this huge vision. And it says this at the end of everything, at the return of Christ, it says in Revelation 21.3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. In the beginning, we hear it is not good for a person to be alone. At the end, we see the great lengths God went through so that we can be in community with him. The lengths of sending his son to die for us on the cross so our sins could be forgiven even though we don't deserve it so that we could find family with God. And our hope is as family members of God, we would find community with one another here at Discovery. So pray with me and then I invite you to head to communion.
God, thank you that you saw it was not good for us to be alone. And so you sent your son to our world so we could have a relationship with you, a relationship that we do not deserve. And God, that life, though it's good, is not always easy. And so we see this morning the theme of community and your word and your story for us. And I hope that we see our need for it. I pray, God, you'd show us in our life where we're finding phony community or where we may be found toxic or negative community in our lives. And I pray, God, that you would show us where we can find positive community, working towards the common goal of knowing you and making you known. So God, steer us in that direction this morning as we move to communion and recognize your son's sacrifice for us. I pray that you would move us into groups of community. It's in your name we pray. Amen.